we'll get started here with, I hope, what will be a study that sets us up for the, for the new year. We often, in January, begin talking about some um, Bible reading plans, some schedules to help us, okay, get on track. If we're going to be people of the Word, we need to figure out what that's going to look like, have a plan to do it. Um, I won't ask you to do this, but if I, if I said, hey, let's just help each other out, why don't you just stand up and tell us what your plan is for reading the Bible? Um, would you have something that is easily presentable to someone? Could you say, oh yeah, well, we read through books of the Bible, so we're in Philippians right now, or, or I follow this reading plan, and it's seven days a week, or I do this one, it's four days a week, and... Uh, a lot of times we give, I guess harshly I could say, we give lip service to the Word, being people of the Word, pursuing truth. But in practice, it's pretty laissez-faire. It's, uh, it just kind of, oh, uh, yeah, I mean, I get to it. And, or, you know, if there's a study at church, you know, I make sure and get it done so I'm ready for the discussion. Um, but... I want us to maybe be a little bit better equipped, um, and so I'm going to share the method that, that we encourage the teens to use. Uh, we use it at home uh, in a family schedule, and I hope this will be, at the very least, a tool to add to your toolbox. Some of you may have received this tool a few years ago when we went over it, and you know it went in the toolbox, and you haven't pulled it out since, so... We're going to make sure in a couple of Sundays here in December uh, that that tool is sharpened up and ready to go so that if you choose to use it in the new year, um, you have it at your disposal. Uh, I want to talk about the Swedish method, all right? Swedish method of Bible study. How many of you are currently using something of the Swedish method? Anyone? All right. You might have something that sounds similar. Um, There's a couple other abbreviations of ways to approach the Bible. And in the coming weeks, you'll also have a handout that'll give you some of the icons that we're talking about this morning. Uh, But I want to just expose you to this today, and then we'll be ready to, to practice in the weeks to come. Again, this is designed to help us maintain our zeal to be in the Word. Because the problem is we feel that well up within us that we need to be in the Word more than we are. Um, And yet, that zeal is often deflated by this common problem. You read a paragraph, you read a psalm, you read the assigned portion in the devotional reading or Bible reading schedule, and you get to the last sentence and you finish reading, and then what? Like, we, we don't know what to do next. Like, what is the plan? I've, I've read this, but now what? Uh, there's got to be something more to it. So we want to be prepared for that moment when we stop reading. Or if you were to show up at a Bible study with the ladies group or in a men's discussion, somebody reads something, and inevitably there's some question like, okay, so what do you see here? Or, or what do we get out of this? Or... And then there's this dead silence because most people, like their minds are racing thinking, um, I don't know what they want or I don't know what to say. 
and there's that awkward silence that occurs, rather than immediately engaging our mind with a very familiar set of tools. Um, I was at the dentist recently, always a devastating experience for me. I, I start worrying about it the night before. Um, I wear my play clothes because I, 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 I break out into like a sweat the whole time they're working on me. So I go home and change before I go back to the office because I, I despise people working on my teeth so much. Um, all that to say, I went to the dentist and they walk into the room and they just set out a new array of tools, right? Um, usually all sealed up in the little packages and they open them all up and they know exactly what they're going to do because they've done this, you know, 100 times a week probably, week after week after week. Uh, so they know exactly what tools they need and what to do. So when a patient sits down, it's as if they've just read their scripture and they unfold their tools and start zipping them open and go to work because this is what they know to do. And we as Christians need to have that kind of approach to reading the Bible. Uh, like the dental assistants, we just know exactly where to go next. We just start working through the tools. What's needed? How do I think through this? Uh, so that's our goal, to equip you with this set of tools for Bible study. But we should first ask, or at least be reminded, of why we should study the Bible. And we were reminded a few weeks ago on Reformation Sunday of sola scriptura. Scripture alone is our sole sufficient authority for all of the life that we live and how we live it and for the faith that we rest in, our doctrine and our practice. Uh, scripture is the authority. So we need to get good at reading Old Testament, uh, New Testament, and together being able to, to take what God has revealed and apply it to transgenderism, apply it to dishonesty and bad ethics in the workplace, apply it to a dispute with a neighbor because his dog killed your cat. Um, like, wait, where is that? <laughs> well, surprisingly, there's some Old Testament law that might help you through that, but at the very least, you realize, wait a minute, I, I have to have the mind of God for all of the problems that I face in the course of the week. So we study the Bible because it is our authority. Um, and not just in, an, in an, what we might think of as an overbearing way, you must, but also in the sense of an anchor being an authority. An anchor is saying, no, I'm not going to let you go over there. I'm not going to let you go over there. You're staying here. Well, there's authority in a sense there. There is command or um, control. And that's what the scriptures are to be to us. And so we study the Bible because of their authority. We study the Bible, here's a good word, uh, because of uh, what theologians will call the perspicuity of scripture. Now there's some irony in the word perspicuity. All right. Anybody have a guess as to what that means when we speak of the perspicuity of scripture? simply means it's clear, all right? The clarity of Scripture, it is designed to be understood. Um, right, that, that's the irony. Just say clarity of Scripture then, but instead they find some word no one's ever used, and then we're all impressed. 
perspicuity of Scripture, clarity, it can be understood. Interpretation doesn't rest with the elite or the academics or in the darkness of the Church of Rome. It doesn't rest only in the priesthood or with the bishops, and it's out of reach for the the lay people, the common people. Uh, That's Deuteronomy 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. And this reminds us that the Bible is designed for readers and hearers. So in, in many cultures, even in Bible days, much of what was communicated was orally. Uh, even the Old Testament law, uh, before children would read, parents would, would send them to the Levites uh, and they would be taught the law, but they would memorize it. Um, we're told some of that would have been with maybe uh, even melody. Uh, so much like your kids could learn scripture songs today, um, kids would learn the law by hearing it. Obviously, as anthropology brought more and more written literature. Um, We understand how the Bible came to be in the hands of many of God's people, whether it was scrolls in the old days uh, and now even in printed books. Uh, But the Bible is addressed to readers and hearers. Uh, Jesus talking to the Sadducees in Matthew 22 about the resurrection Uh, uses an interesting expression. He says, have you not read what was said to you by God? Now, he could have just said, have you not read the law? He does that other places. Um, But here, his point seems to have a a little bit more of a, a jab to it. Have you not read what was said by God? So God spoke, but he doesn't do it in continual, audible words. He did that once by the Holy Spirit and used holy men of God to pen the scriptures, Paul writes to Timothy. So the question still hangs over us, have you not read what was said to you by God? Uh, You know, stop asking almost that rhetorical question of, oh, I don't don't know what to do in this situation, or I wish I had more wisdom here, well, no, have you not read what God has said? It was designed to be everything we need, Peter tells us, for faith, life, and godliness. And so come to the Bible knowing that it's to be read, it's to be understood. And we're not really being intellectually honest when we say, oh, I don't know, it's just too hard to understand. It's really not. Rejoice in the Lord always. Okay, that's, you know, you just can't argue and say, I can't get much out of the Bible. It's too hard to understand. I understand you might not be able to shape a sermon out of the genealogies. Um, You don't know where to go with that. Uh, There are plenty of hard passages. Peter and Paul, one of them says that. Is it Peter that speaks of Paul's writing? Um, Saying there are some things that are hard to understand. It's going to take... Not only a lot of study to see content, get all the data, then it's going to be standing back and just, man, you're just going to have to dump all that in the crock pot of your mind and let it stew for a while. And it could be years before your understanding of Scripture develops further. Understood. 
Um, but that is not the bulk of the material. Um, there's a reason why children are taught in the Sunday school hour. Now, obviously, even back in the day in Britain when Sunday school began, it was to teach all the rugrats and the children that were working, you know, in the child labor of the day. It was so that they could be educated, not only in the Bible, but certainly through the Bible. Um, so precept upon precept is really a possibility. While the people of Israel scorned the prophet using that language, the reality is they were onto something. You can learn bit by bit, and the Bible is designed for readers and hearers. So we should be reading our Bibles. You should be listening to your Bible. Uh, some of you may not be good readers. I understand that, but that doesn't mean you don't get to read or take in the Bible. Take it in audibly if that works well for you. Uh, that'd be a great tool of our day that that is incredibly accessible. Um, as a matter of fact, there's a lot of Bible efforts around the world that are putting the Bible on, you know, drives and stuff that they can hand out to people and they can then play it on devices rather than having printed copies uh, being distributed. Roy? And to, to elaborate on that, I have a friend who has some learning disabilities and he's, he's found a Bible app that he can set it to where it will loop through, say, a psalm. And every time it comes back through it, it will swap the person reading and the version being read and just to sync it in through multiple voices that way has been very helpful to him. Yeah, different voices would engage the mind, I suppose. Different translations certainly would. It's almost doing the thinking first steps for you. I mean, at one point in my life, I uh, was, you know, my excuse was that never could understand it or whatever, but the problem was is my ears were not open. My eyes were willing to listen to hear that the beautiful book has to offer. And my eyes just to be able to see the knowledge. It's, it's, it's you know, being epileptic, you know, and dyslexic, the problems I face in which, I don't know if John could probably verify here, but I, I read it pretty, you know, enunciate it pretty well. And I don't know where it comes from, but all I know is that's all about it, man. <laughs> like, right. that's all righteous. Like, yeah, the Holy Spirit in us, is, it, you know, adds enormous weight to this whole conversation. We're not left alone with our intellect, our reading ability, our comprehension level, you know, that you tested at on your SATs in high school or something. All of that helps us understand who we are and our abilities and even limitations. But the reality is God has given us the Holy Spirit uh, to guide us into truth and we can't put the blame on him for our deficiencies in the word. So then it, then, it, then it becomes our kind of burden or it should be our passion. Uh, and we'll look at that a little more in the weeks to come so that we realize even in coming to the word, it shouldn't be, 
well, I've got my tools and mental tricks, so I'll be able to get something out of the word. No, we're going to need a greater dependence even than that. Uh, the Swedish method, what's, what's in the name? Well, it was introduced in the Church of Sweden, the city of Asteros, a big city in Sweden, back in the 1940s uh, by a pastor there. And so it became known as the Vasteros method because churches in that city uh, were kind of catching on to this simple practice of Bible study. Now, the Church of Sweden back then was pretty conservative. Uh, it was in the Lutheran denomination, Evangelical Lutheran Church, um, deep roots in the Reformation. One of the church fathers from Sweden had studied with Luther and Melanchthon in Wittenberg and carried that Reformation to Sweden. Um, nowadays, the Church of Sweden, like most of the major denominations, is caved in to all the cultural movements of the day. But back then, they were, they were pretty serious about trying to get the Bible right. Um, and so the Vasteros method uh, caught on and became uh, a great tool for developing the people in the churches, but also an evangelistic tool. Um, and especially amongst the young people, the college students, so college students would just invite friends to come and read the Bible. wouldn't even be a Bible study. They would just say, we're going to read the Bible and talk about it. And they were very articulate about those words um, so that it was very much come and explore what the Bible says. Um, well, a missionary uh, who was uh, observing some of these college students realized that uh, these Swedish college students had this great method of Bible study. She didn't know it had originated there in the, in the city, so she just called it the Swedish method and brought it back to the States on her visits here. Uh, and this Swedish method then uh, for the next, well now, you know, 80 years uh, has been a pretty common approach to that moment when you stop reading the Bible and now you're supposed to engage with it somehow. And so the Swedish method is designed around three um, primary icons. The, the list has been added to, I'll give them all of you, but we'll start with the initial three that actually made up the Swedish method. Uh, they wanted people to be able to come to their Bible reading session and go away knowing exactly after just one session how to do this on their own. Uh, that was one of the strengths of the program. You didn't need to buy a book and then read something and then read all the devotional fill-in-the-blank questions because the idea was, well, that takes a lot of work to come up with questions for every passage of the Bible when the Bible should be able to speak for itself. So you just need to have a way to approach it with some questions of your own. So the first icon was simply a light bulb. And they were supposed to, having read the scriptures, simply find something to see, something that shines in the text. The light bulb was that picture of like illumination. Oh, I see something there. So what grabs your attention? Is there anything surprising in the language there? Is there something that's repeated? Maybe a word shows up in that one paragraph three or four times. That, that's something to take note of. Um, is there some character of God that is immediately um, evident? 
these kinds of questions that are literally just observations. And that's the first step in another method of observation, interpretation, application. Um, That's another abbreviated form of what do I do with these scriptures I've read? Well, this is very much observation, something to see. So you could jot some notes or circle some things or underline some words. Uh, You're just seeing, you're just taking in, this is what God has said and here's how he has said it. What do I see in this passage? Then they turn to another question. Uh, Is there something to ask? What don't I understand here? You could add even, what does this word mean? Or why did God say it this way? Why this word order? What's the meaning of the repetition? And then sometimes it's very much an interpretive question. I I just don't understand what to do with this. Um, And those questions were kind of written down or thrown out to the group. Um, And the idea was, let's keep looking at this text to see if in the context there is some clue to an answer. Otherwise, it was simply tabled. The goal wasn't to answer every question with, well, I know this because I was taught in seminary or my pastor said that. No, the answer was just let the Bible keep working to address those questions. Uh, Is there something to ask? And then, having worked on observation and somewhat interpretation, um, the third icon was simply an arrow. We went from a light bulb to a question mark to an arrow, just kind of pointing forward. And the idea was, what do I do with this? What do I do? So how does this apply to my life? But even that question is kind of broad, right? Uh, When we ask that in a session, how does this apply to our lives? It's still like, I don't know. Um, So we could ask the question, what do I need to change in order to obey this passage? What would I need to change? What do I need to stop doing? What do I need to start doing? What motivation is offered in this text? You know, you see the word joy or fear, and it's like, okay, what is that a motivating factor to my obedience to this passage? What promise is made? What sin should be avoided in this text? When I read this, is there a clear command where it's just really obvious? I know exactly what to do because there's a command there. Is there an example that should be followed or avoided? Uh, Those are easy questions to begin the application process to our own lives. Because a lot of times you're reading, especially Old Testament narrative, you might read a whole chapter and it's just one story about Jonathan and his armor bearer, you know, going up to fight some Philistines. And, you know, Jonathan turns to his armor bearer and says, hey, when they see us, if they say, come up here, then we're going to go up and whoop up on them. And if they don't say that, then we're going to take that as from the Lord, that we're not going up, we're going to go a different way, and the whole story unfolds, and they go up and beat up the Philistines. And, you know, you read this whole long account with all the dialogue and everything, and then you get to the end, and you're like, well, I guess if I ever have a conflict with Philistines, and they tell me to come up there, then I'll know what to do, right? Um, We've got to be able to think through, like, what, what do I see there? 
What am I trying to understand so that I can come up with an action, something to do in response to the text? There were a couple other icons that were added later. One of them was the open Bible. Um, And that reminded us to think about somewhere else to look. What What else do I read in the Bible that would inform my understanding of this passage? Now, a lot of our Bibles have done this kind of work for us. A lot of you have a, some kind of study Bible that lists all these other references where that theme or that exact verse shows up maybe somewhere else. You know, you're reading Romans and there's some quote and it has a little letter by it and you realize, oh, that was from Isaiah. And you can go back and read that and get an understanding. Well, so Isaiah said this to the Israelites with God's judgment looming over them. The Babylonians are going to come and destroy them. And yet Paul is taking that and telling the Romans this in the context of our salvation. And it just suddenly you have all this data that you may not understand it, but you have data. It's truth. It's, it's understanding that can begin to take shape in our minds. But all that also takes a little work. You can't just read it and be like, oh, yeah, okay, I, I'm not sure what that means, and, and keep reading uh, no, it, it means you stop and you ask some of these questions. Is there another passage that addresses the question that I have about this text? You know, just the other week, somebody came across this account of uh, questions of truth and dishonesty. Uh, Roy, what was that story? It's a unique one that you brought up. Oh. Uh. King of Edom sent his servant to Elisha to ask if he was going to recover from his current sickness. Right. And the prophet seems to encourage or flat out tell him to lie to his king. And the servant ends up covertly killing the king with a wet rag, suffocating him and taking his place. So the prophet tells the king's servant, tell the king that this sickness won't be the death of him, basically. And then the text even gives an awkward kind of couple of sentences about the prophet just stares at the servant in this long, awkward silence. And the servant basically asks, like, what's wrong with you or something? (laughs) And, um, And the prophet begins to weep and says, basically, I know what you're going to do. You're going to you know, kill the king and take over the kingdom. Um, But it it brought up this question of, well, why did he tell him to tell the king that he wouldn't die and brought up all those other passages of the Bible, you know, the Egyptian midwives and Rahab and the spies and all, you know, God telling uh, the prophet to tell King Saul he's actually going to make a sacrifice so that he won't get in trouble for anointing a king and all these questions that bring to our minds, oh, wait a minute, that sounds like dishonesty, and it just makes us think. Well, when you read those passages and you write down on your questions to ask, what does this do to my understanding of integrity or speaking the truth? Well, then we could say, okay, are there any other passages that come to bear regarding speaking the truth? Because one principle of interpretation is, you know, go with what is really clear, you know, Everybody agrees to some things, what the Bible says about truth in some passages. So start there, because we all know, without any question, what this means. 
use that to help us try to figure out some of these passages that are a little bit more obscure or hard to figure out. Use the clear to help with what is unclear. It's a real problem when you take what's unclear and decide to rearrange everything that's clear. That, that's not good Bible interpretation. Um, so the somewhere to look really begins the digging into Scripture. Um, and this is a question that you can ask uh, which might be answered uh, because the Swedish method isn't designed to just throw out your questions and get feedback so now you have the answer and don't have to do any Bible work. The idea is you go to Scripture and someone might say, well, you need to look at this passage and now you go and you try to figure out how the Bible um, answers its questions and how the Bible addresses its own integrity of, hey, there's no contradictions here. It's all going to work out. might not work out in your mind yet, but in the Bible, it's all good. Uh, no contradiction, no error. So keep digging. Where else can we look? Sometimes you see just even a verse uh, or a phrase or a key word, and you're reminded of that word in other verses. And in your mind, you have a limited topical study because you saw the joy of the Lord is my strength. And then you think, well, oh, I know a couple other verses on joy. Well, that's, that's fine. We're not saying here you have to think expositionally in one passage. We're just saying if the Bible mentions joy there and you want to think on joy, then what else does the Bible say about joy? Just give yourself to a meditation on that. And you might camp out on one of those other thoughts of joy that wasn't even in your original text. God's not offended by that, that you went somewhere else in his word than your daily Bible reading. No, he wants our minds dwelling on his word. Let it dwell in you richly uh, so that you're ready for the next icon. We have the light bulb, something to see, the question mark, something to ask, the arrow, something to do, the Bible for somewhere to look. And then I've always seen it with just a smiley face, the typical classic original emoji, um, someone to tell who else would benefit from this truth. If the word is to dwell in me richly so that I will be speaking to others in truth, then who else would benefit from this truth? Who could I talk to about questions I have? Who else might enjoy engaging in this conversation to, to figure this out a little more? Uh, and this happens often. Uh, I, I'm not saying you never do this, so this isn't a a scolding. This is just a reminder that when we take in the word and are meditating on it, be ready. Um, God may be equipping you immediately to share that with someone else. And I'm not saying how you're going to know that. Uh, I'm not saying they're always going to ask you. I'm just saying the design is it dwells in us so fully that it just really easily spills out. Somebody bumps into you and starts sharing their problem and you just spill out something of that joy study that you were thinking on. That's the nature of it. Uh, you're filled up and, you know, just like you don't want your four-year-old carrying that glass filled to the brim with lemonade to the table, right? Uh, let's not fill it up so much. Uh, we're supposed to be so filled that the slightest little bump Slightest encounter with your spouse, with your kids, 
people at work, the neighbor, something good is going to come out. Truth, the word. This almost seems like somebody to tell. I'm going to go tell them that I'm done. But most of these things, if you stick them in your backpack and make a collection of them, refresh them in your minute, in your memory, there will come a time when they are appropriate to share and helpful. Oh, sir. Don't just, don't just shoot, you know, you don't, you don't have just a single shot. This is, this is you can shoot it over and over. Right, you, you, you will be building your own kind of manual of counseling, you know, scripture meets need. Uh, you'll start building that mental database or you're writing it down, you know, a key verse that you found in the Psalms that, man, next time I hear somebody struggling or discouraged, you know, despairing of all their problems, I'm going to show them that verse, you know where the psalmist says, be our shepherd and carry us forever. And I'm going to use that one. That's, that's good because I've met people who feel like they cannot go on. Well, I'm going to share that with them. Um, and now you sound like this, you know, giant Bible scholar and helper. Like, And they're thinking, where did you get that verse? Well, you just kind of remembered it because you went to the Word frequently. Um, the idea here is, yes, yeah, someone to tell hey, I read this this week, maybe this will help you. But maybe that's three months later, and you're saying, hey, you know, I remember reading this in the Psalms. And you share that, and it's, and it's being used. Um, someone to tell. We added to the Swedish method one other icon after reading a book by Don Whitney called Praying the Bible. Um, something to pray how would I pray if I, if I had to pray today only from this passage that I read, what would I pray? So what if this passage didn't say, you know, oh, give thanks, you know, for this day that you have made. Okay, well, then I don't get to pray. Thank you for this day. Uh, I have to pray specifically from this passage. What is here that I could give thanks for? What is here that I could make petition for? What is here that I could praise God for? What is here that I need to repent of from this passage? Because it it trains our brains then to work freshly from the scripture that I have in front of me. I don't get to just read and then default to my standard prayer um, lingo that I always use. No, I have to think freshly. Uh, So something to pray, um, not that you couldn't work that in with a lot of other familiar expressions. I understand that. Um, but the idea here is, is fresh thought. Based on these passages, I need to have a conversation with God for a moment. So on this topic, what would that be? Well, like you were saying, the open, uh, the open Bible concept, having that overall broad range of just knowledge in which obviously there is... <laughs> It goes on and on. It is the uh, past, present, and future. Right, living words, and it continues to go on uh, as Proverbs twenty-eight, uh, you know, one. I'll just do one and two here. The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. For the transgression of a land, many are the princes thereof, but by a man of understanding and Knowledge 
the state thereof shall be prolonged. So the great benefit of knowledge, understanding. Having an mind and being, yeah. And the idea here is every day then, while it's work, it's an exercise, it, it's, it's that battle of, you know, going to the gym or getting on the treadmill because it's going to take a little bit of effort, but it can be fresh every day. Your, your thinking is fresh because you have familiar questions, different content. Your praying is fresh. Not that you might not go through a lot of requests in your mind or a lot of people that are very familiar to your praying, uh, but it can have a fresh stamp on it. You might pray for the same people, but out of a fresh text, therefore a new request for that day. And the idea here is we, we get out of the doldrums and it becomes a perpetual adventure, hopefully, in this pursuit of understanding and wisdom. Now, a couple reasons why this is so useful. One, it requires no preparation. Um, you don't have to send out word ahead of time. Hey, here's what we're going to be studying. Make sure you read this. Um, make sure you answer these questions. The idea was it's very simple. All you need is Bibles to be read. Uh, it requires no trained leaders. Every one of you could do this. Uh, you could do this in your small group. You could have anybody over this evening for dinner, and you could have this kind of Bible study because it doesn't take preparation or any kind of training. It doesn't cost any money. You don't have to buy a book. Um, you don't have to buy the Bible study guide for Philippians or Judges, uh, and it's going to tell you what passage to read and then ask you the questions to be answered. There's nothing you need as far as materials or resources so no cost. This method is reusable and repeatable. Uh, unlike your bought Bible study where you answered the questions, you know, granted you could go back through it and ask the questions again and probably get fresh material. Um, but this method, all you need are those questions in your mind, those icons, and you can go to any passage and you're ready to go. And it just doesn't take much to teach others. After one session, you could hand people five little symbols and say, okay, you go after it. Uh, you can do this with your sister. You can do this with your kids. You can do this with your, you know, fiancé or your spouse. Uh, there's, there's an appeal here of this tool to our culture in this sense. It, it suits our postmodernism that we live in um, by engaging people in this Exploration. Um, Postmodernism celebrates my own experience versus absolutes. Like, don't tell me this is the way it is and I just buy into it. I want to feel it and know it for myself because as a postmodernist, I think truth is kind of relative to my experience. Well, there's no barrier here because you're saying, come experience what God has said. And it's not you know, a guarantee they're obviously going to be brought into the truth just simply because our tool is an, an exploratory pursuit. But it is engaging because you're not saying, I'm going to tell you what my church believes. That's establishment. That's absolute truth, though we know we have absolute truth. You're, you're not putting up a barrier of religion, church, uh, standards, a body of dogma. 
to a mind that already is inclined to resist dogma and establishment and, and structure. Uh, you're telling them, hey, you, you're, you're saying you want to explore and you want to know this on your own. Well, God's revealed truth to us exactly that way. He tells us to come and explore, come and learn, uh, and let the simple, let the, uh, those who are actually wise come and find wisdom. It's here. So it, it invites them into exploration and experience rather than saying, I have answers and you need to believe them. That's true. We do have truth. Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. So I can go out and tell people, listen, I have all the answers. Come and sit with me and I'll tell you. And they're going to think, I don't want to do that. No college student's going to come to that study. But if you say, hey, we're going to come and explore what the Bible says, you might have questions. You might have doubts. Come and see. And let the Bible fight for itself. Like it, Let that truth you know, do the fighting for you. You're really just there to guide them into the, this truth here and let them see it. You want to say something? Well, I said, because it'll just say, the truth will set you free. You know. Yes. Yep, the truth will set you free. You're exactly right. It avoids appealing to higher human authority or experience or training in order to answer questions and win arguments. You sit in the Bible study and somebody usually says the words, well, I heard that. And you're like, where did you hear that? And why would we think that source is trustworthy? You know, you might have somebody say, well, at our church we believe, or my pastor said, you know, some of you that go to BSF, I don't think you're supposed to say things like that, right? You're not supposed to say my church or my denomination or my pastor. Or, you're supposed to say, well, it looks like the Bible is saying here. Or, well, it also says over here. Because the idea is, if we're trying to study the Bible, then let's do that. It's not wrong to sit in your church and to think, well, my pastor said, but ideally, as Berean Christians, you're still supposed to say, I'm glad he usually gets it right, but I need to make sure. Um, that's the point. We're not, we're not sitting in a study and saying, well, my pastor said, oh, yeah, well, my pastor, who's been preaching for 40 years, said, Oh, yeah, well, I heard on Ask Pastor John that John Piper said, oh, whoa, now, now we're going to keep playing a higher card to try to get to the greatest Bible teacher. Well, I read in Spurgeon that, and it's like, oh, brother, like, let's get back to the page in front of us, all right? And let's us stop thinking they're smart and they have the answers and we'll never get the answers. And let's believe that scriptures are written for hearers and readers, and we can read it, and with the help of the Spirit, probably end up awfully close to where Piper or Spurgeon or your pastor or any other great saint probably ended up as well, all right? You can get there. Uh, don't sell yourself short and think somebody smarter or more experienced needs to answer this question. The Swedish method provo- promotes thinking without being threatening. The great The great benefit of these tools in the first question, what do you see, or in one of those other methods, uh, what do you observe, is that in that question, at least, there's really not rights or wrongs. 
It's literally like, look at the text and, and find a word there that stands out to you or makes your mind engage a little bit. Just, just what do you see? And, you know, back to the, the illustration that Roy gave us of this servant of the king with this obscure message from Elisha. Um, you know, you, you might just look at that and say, well, I, I see some kind of, like, question about what's true or not or you know okay great you're just you're just observing you're not trying to say oh I know what this means it's just it's a non-threatening approach because you're inviting people to say let's read this and then the first question is all right what did you notice there and sometimes the awkward silence is because we're used to not really noticing anything when scripture's read You know, it just kind of goes by, and we didn't know there was going to be a quiz at the end, so I wasn't really paying attention. Uh, Instead of following along and thinking through, the idea is here, without threatening, we're inviting investigation, observation, thinking. Eventually, this is exercising the skill of interpretation, which is generally a process of asking and answering questions. So if we have questions to ask that naturally steer us toward interpretation, we are becoming more equipped to be students of the Bible. Um, I, I feel plenty of times that the devil can tempt us away from Bible reading by other things, but more often than not, I, I, I hear people talk about They want to do better at this, and the New Year's resolution was to do better, and and you see that zeal and the willingness to explore and to choose even a Bible reading plan or to buy a devotional book, and I feel it more often than not falters or the zeal deflates because they don't have these tools that promote the engagement of the mind with Scripture. They, they don't think of it as standing in the lobby and talking to someone. So I could talk to Paul in the lobby afterwards, and, and I don't have the luxury of Paul just talking, and, and then he stops, and I just stare blankly at him. So Paul talks again, and I just stare blankly at him, and Paul talks again, and I just walk away. Because after all, I've got a lot to do, and that's as much as I could give to my Bible reading this morning. We... we we think of Bible reading as like this one-sided thing, and then you just leave. But we don't do that with other people. Um, you'd be labeled pretty quickly as, man, that guy's got issues. Like, he, he doesn't relate well to people. Well, we've got to figure out how to relate with these words that God is giving to us. If they're living words of God, he's engaging us. We can't just see it and then walk away because I got to go to work now or I hear the kids are awake downstairs. No, there's got to be some way to engage with it. And I think if we have some questions, some tools, we can immediately know, okay, that's what I've read. And like that dental hygienist, open the tools and start pulling them out and, and let's go to work. And in that case, it might be that terrible scraping sound, right, on your teeth. As you get into that and think, what what does that mean? How can joy in the Lord be strength? What possible possible work could be accomplished by joy? How does joy 
equal strength. What does that mean? And you might not have a good answer. But now that question is stuck in your mind, and you're going you're gonna to start thinking about it. You're going to see someone joyful and wonder, like, okay, so they're going through their cancer like with this joy. Maybe, maybe joy somehow is enabling. Maybe it does something. And that question of joy being strength from, you know, last March might not come to play until December when now you're starting to see, oh, I think I'm starting to make sense of this. Maybe I could articulate an answer now. So it it takes that exercise of asking questions to get to uh, interpretation. In essence, the Swedish method teaches inductive Bible study inductively. Inductive Bible study means we're going to make observations and try to get to a theory or a conclusion, a premise. Whereas deductive kind of starts with a theory, a premise, and is going to establish proving it. So it kind of depends where the conclusion is. Are you working towards a statement or are you starting at one? Well, inductive means I'm just starting with a text, and I'm just going to start making observations and try to arrive at, what's the big idea here? Uh, Sometimes in sermon points. Sometimes I'll point you to the text first and talk about something and then kind of fill in the blank. That would be more inductive. Other times I give you the point and then try to show you, here's what we mean by that. So you can use both. One's not more right than the other, but inductive is best for coming to the Bible And just thinking, okay, I'm just reading today and I'm trying to get something, we might say. Well, that would be inductive. The Swedish method teaches inductive study inductively by making you do it. uh, By making you just read and ask questions and make observations. The key strength is this. It teaches the most basic and yet the most difficult task in Bible reading. Namely, observing what the text actually says. That's the simplest, most basic task of Bible reading. What does the Bible say? But it's also the most difficult. This happens more often than it should. You read something and then you ask, somebody, ask the question, okay, what do we see here? And somebody says something and you're like, what in the world? That, that, that is nowhere in this passage. Like, you're not talking about something here. You're talking about something that you thought of. And so we have to say something like, where do you see that in the text? You might have a good thought. You might have already jumped to some application or something, but where do you see that here? At least where was the springboard that launched you into that thought, right? Because it is hard to stay right here in the text and think it through. But that's what the Swedish method asks of us. What does this passage say? Oh, I know what you know from elsewhere in the scripture, but what does this passage say? You might be wanting it to say something more, but let's just ask, what does it say here? Now, the weakness is missing the forest for the trees. In other words, you start observing all these little facts and details, and you don't get to the big picture But that doesn't concern me as much if you're looking at the word 
and trying to get it right. The Holy Spirit's going to help you get the big idea if he wants you to. If he wants you to see some trees and get the forest later, that's his business. The beauty here is, though, you're coming to the Bible itself with no preparation, no tools, no materials, just armed with a simple handful of questions that engage your mind. It's not unlike the simplicity of David going to battle, not with fancy armor, this, 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 and this, but just those five smooth stones. Just, Just give me what I'm good at. Just give me the basics. I know how to use these. And, and I can take on anything. I can take on the simplicity of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. That's low-hanging fruit for wrestling with what does this text have for me. But I could also go to Ezekiel and, and start reading of his visions and armed with my five smooth stones, I could be like, okay, I can probably get something here even though I might not have any idea what these visions are really about. So I can go anywhere, just like Little shepherd boy David, give me the giant or, or give me the lion and the bear or give me the practice on the butterflies sitting on the, on the tree branch. My stones work. So get, get your basic tools down so that you're ready for that awkward moment when you finish reading your assigned text and now have to engage your mind all by itself. Uh, that's what this is designed to do. So we're going to look at those questions and practice a little bit in the next couple of weeks. Heavenly Father, uh, fan in us uh, this ember of wanting to be good Bible students, of wanting to be able to read your word and uh, think through it in a way that is helpful to our own souls and is a benefit to others as well. Um, And so ready us, even in the week to come, Uh, with greater desire for the word, with greater effort at being in the word, and with greater understanding of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.